welcome to Tape to Tape, powered by the new Ram 1500 Sport, built exclusively for Canadians. I'm Ryan Dixon. I'm a writer for Sportsnet.ca. My usual partner, Rory Boylan, is home, tending to an expanding family. Congrats to Rory and Pam on a new baby girl. So joining me this week, Sportsnet NHL writer and part-time teacher, Luke Fox. Luke, how are you hanging in? I'm doing okay. Yes, congrats to the Boylans. This is news to me. I, I knew that it was about to happen, but it's a girl. That's fantastic. Do we know her name? We do. It is Abigail Rose. She landed on the 4th of May, i.e. May the 4th be with you. Uh-huh. <laughs> May the 4th be with you. There we go. And I can tell you that is no small deal in the Star Wars crazy Boylan house. I often see Rory's brother coming to our beer hockey league games with some kind of Star Wars t-shirt on and... I'm going to guess it was his brother who did this, but on Facebook, there was a pretty awesome little video from Rory that was the opening to the Star Wars crawl, basically announcing the arrival of a new baby girl to the world, which uh, definitely had me laughing out loud. So um, they're, I'm sure, a little bleary eyed, but uh, having some fun. We're going to have some fun on this pod today talking about a new defenseman for the Leafs plucked from Europe. The Leafs go to the European leagues again to try and find some cost-efficient help. And we're also going to talk about the potential for a June draft before we get any kind of NHL hockey again and before we would hand out a Stanley Cup, which obviously is more than a little atypical. But Luke, Let's start with the Leafs. They go out and sign Miko Lettinen, regarded as the top defenseman in Europe this past year. He was playing for, I say Jokerit. Is I, I'm still, I'm never clear about whether it's a hard J or not. I default to soft J's basically in all uh, instances of European teams. He's 26, offense-minded, but he shoots left. I feel like if he was coming positioned as he's the 10th best defenseman in Europe and a little slow, but he shoots right, Leafs fans might actually be more excited. What's your take on this? (laughs) Oh, I think they should be excited. There were um, dozens of teams interested in this player, and it's a big win for the Leafs. For a number of reasons, yes, he doesn't curve his stick the right way, um, but there's a lot of pluses. For one, he's less than a million bucks. Like, it's a no-risk gamble. Um, the fact that the Leafs continue to win these bidding wars for um, prized KHL free agents is just a testament to you know the resources they pour into the European market led by Jim Palafito, who's their chief scout and spends a lot of time building relationships. He built one with Lettinum himself and as well as his agent. And this one was a tricky one because they had to broker a bit of a deal with Yari Curry who's the GM of Jokerit in Helsinki, because Lettinen, unlike Barabanov, who the Leafs got a month ago, actually had another year on his contract. He left early. So, you know, Kyle Dubas, when we talked to him the other day, he led by thanking Curry and the Helsinki organization for letting this guy out of his contract early so he could go chase his dream of winning a Stanley Cup. 26 years old, he's played in three top European leagues, you know, the Swedish Elite League, the Finnish Elite League, and now the KHL, where he led the entire circuit in scoring and was six overall 
in scoring, even though he was a defenseman. He can log a ton of minutes, uh, and he comes in at very low cost for a one-year yeah. deal. So why not? You know, if he works out, this is a fantastic win. If he doesn't, it's a low-cost risk. So you mentioned it. I mean, the Leafs have really made this a point of focus in past years, and we've seen guys coming over like uh, a Mikheyev this year, who was obviously a nice surprise when he was playing. Nikita Zaitsev a couple years ago. Um, you know, th- those are just a couple guys. I mean, they've already dipped in into the European market earlier this year, signing forward Alexander Barbanov. Um, can you just tell us a little more about, you know, what they do to, you know, scout there to... Um, how much they prioritize this because of the fact that they are obviously a team that's so up against the cap. Yeah, it's, you know, they need it more than any other team. But it was interesting uh, that Duba said this week is it's becoming a bit more competitive these days. And that's because of the salary cap. And I would expect it to become even more competitive in the next couple of years because we're expecting a flat cap. So more teams are going to have to find ways to shoehorn guys making a million bucks or less than that, um, you know, to compensate for the big salaries that the stars are getting. So the way that Dubas has attacked the salary cap with the Leafs, obviously everyone knows he's paying four guys, you know, 40 million bucks, um, really going out on a limb by committing a large portion of his cap to the high-end talent. The middle class is getting squeezed out and every year he's going to do this. Bring up guys on entry-level deals like Rasmus Sandin, and he's got to find free agents who are either like Jason Spezza, just trying to chase a cup and money doesn't matter to them anymore, and they just want to be part of a team that should, in theory, be a cup contender and is loaded with talent, or you know, go over to Europe and try to plunder what talent they have. And they have, like I mentioned, Jim Pagliafito, they have a guy dedicated to do that, and they're an organization with deep enough pockets that this is where you can use your financial muscle. You can't, you know, go above the 81.5 in salary cap, but you can spend more on scouting and finding the best guys to go recruit players. And then what they also do is is they do an excellent job selling them. I yeah. mean, I, I look at some of the other teams that were chasing Lettinen, like New Jersey, like Montreal. They need a left shot defenseman way more than Leafs do. You know, you start the chart and they got Muzzin and Riley um, solidified in their top four. But the Leafs are able to say, hey, look at what we did with Zaitsev. This guy now has an NHL career. Look at what we did with Mikheyev. Um, You know, this guy got tons of press for a third line winger and he's set now. He's going to get another contract for sure. Um, You know, the Leafs are a proven place where you can come over, get the best doctors, best trainers, um, tons of attention on individual skill work. And if you have a shot to make it, it's going to be in Toronto. And then if you become too expensive, like Zaitsev, then you can move on to a different team. But it's a great starting point for a European. Yeah, so much of it is that pitch because they're coming in on entry level level deal. So there's a cap on how much money these guys can make. It's not like you can just offer uh, the biggest check. So, so much of it is, as you said, that pitch that the Leafs can can make to those players. All right, so you mentioned Muzzin and Riley, uh, guys on the left side. How do you see this flow chart shaking out here, especially down the road? I mean, I think most people assume two of the right shot guys, that being Tyson Berry and Cody Ceci, 
are likely to move on as UFAs this summer. Uh, we have heard that uh, Lettinen can play either side. I mean, I imagine there's still, um, you know, there's still some some figuring out, some moving the chess pieces around to be done on the blue line. For Dubis, how do you think right now Lettinen slots in with that group? Well, it's going to be fascinating. And Dubis, you know, said he didn't know yet and he wasn't committing to anything. Uh, I asked Lettinen about playing either side. He said he played a whole season in Sweden in the 18-19 season on the right side. And he did well, you know, half a point a game. And he said sometimes he actually prefers it. Uh, someone's got to move over there. I, I still think the Leafs are going to try and find a right shot. I don't think Barry or CeCe will be coming back. I think they're going to find more security and more money elsewhere on the free agent market. It's pretty thin after you get by um, Alex Petrangelo. When you're looking at mm -hmm. right shot defensemen, it really tails off. So I think those guys will find uh, more opportunity elsewhere. Uh, one of the lefties has got to move over. You know, Travis Dermott could move over to the right side. He played a little bit of right with the Marlies. Um, he's been pushed around uh, to his weak side a little bit. Letting him might be that guy. I, but I, I would guess maybe he starts, you know, third pairing and maybe second power play unit. I think with Barry going out, Morgan Riley should assume his rightful spot on PP1. Uh, but Lettinen is a power play performer. He's got uh, a great wrist shot from the point, um, able to sift pucks through, great passer, good skater. So, um, you know, I, I think he'll get a look there. And I think that's part of the pitch too is, hey, we're going to give you a real chance. I mean, yeah. now it's up to him to stick, but he's going to get every opportunity to stick in that lineup. You mentioned Dermot. He kind of gets overlooked. He's um, an RFA, not a UFA, but does need a new deal. Obviously got a slow start to the season because he was injured, was coming on a bit before the break. Where do you think they go with that negotiation? Again, especially because, as you mentioned, we could be looking at who knows, maybe it's best case, a flat cap for a while. Um, that has all of a sudden become a much more intriguing conversation, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he's the most intriguing contract that the Leafs have got this summer because we know the organization is committed to Rasmus Sandin and he's still on his entry level, so he's secure. But Dermot is that guy that after letting it signed, you know, the, the hardcore fans are, are looking at the Leafs depth chart and saying, does this signify that Dermot might be traded? And I wouldn't say he's 100% safe because you know, maybe you package Dermot with one of the the forwards that are making that midterm money. Yeah, um, we keep coming back to Kapanen, Janssen, and Kerfoot as guys who could potentially move. So maybe you package Dermot with one of those guys to try and land the big prize, which would be a type top four right shot defenseman. But Dermot, I don't think has a ton of leverage in negotiations. He's an RFA. You know, he doesn't have arbitration rights. And he didn't have this incredible breakout season. He was starting to come around quite a bit when uh, Muzzin and Riley got injured and his minutes went up and he performed pretty well. And actually in the very final game of before the pause, he played more minutes than anyone in a very important game between the Leafs and the Lightning. So he was making strides, but he didn't knock his platform year out of the park. So I don't think he's going to have a ton of leverage 
to hold over the Leafs in negotiations. He's still under club control. So I think just with the Leafs cap situation, it might be smarter to hold on to him and get him to re-sign for a bridge deal the way they they got Justin Hall to re-sign. They got Pierre Engvall to re-sign for, you know, not a ton of money. And I think Dermott would probably accept that. I think he likes being a member of the Leafs. I'd be surprised if if that negotiation gets really contentious. One thing we can still bank on in this crazy world, the Leafs defense still a big talking point and still lots of uncertainty as we cast ahead. All right, we're going to leave the Leafs behind for now and talk about what a June draft might look like. Some chatter out there that the NHL could go ahead and hold a virtual draft as the NFL did a couple weeks ago before any potential return. That would obviously represent a huge departure from how things are usually done. We're going to dive into that when we come back on Tape to Tape. Hey, we are back. All right, Luke, lots of chatter that the NHL may try to jump into uh, the sports vacuum right now and potentially hold a draft in early June. A memo went out essentially a week ago, sort of alerting teams to uh, that potential. I think a lot of teams sort of interpret it as, you know, sometimes you're voluntold to do something. And this was, you know, maybe more a get ready because this is probably how it's going to go or the league would like to make it happen. We're probably not going to know for sure until into next week. But why don't you bring us up to speed on what the talk is surrounding the potential of a draft in early June? Yeah, well, it's a fascinating topic because there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons to this um, holding the draft before you even say that the season's over um, because yeah. the league is definitely still trying to, by any means necessary, finish the regular season, um, which is increasingly feeling like a pipe dream, and definitely holding the playoffs and awarding a Stanley Cup winner. But the results of the whole season determine the draft. So the fact that they're trying to shoehorn this thing early is really interesting and you know what i've heard is that they're targeting the first week weekend of june um but they want to give teams and the networks a month to prepare and to ramp up and help promote this thing so we should find out if that's a go um within the next few days i I would like to think uh i understand where the league is coming from in terms of why they want to do it because realistically we could be looking at four to five months without hockey by the time training camps get up and running and they actually take a stab at bringing the product back on the ice. And that's a long time to be out of the public consciousness and out of the sports conversation. And I'm sure the bigwigs at the NHL are seeing all the chatter that's gone on around the last dance and the Michael Jordan documentary, all the attention, the NFL draft, um, albeit done virtually, got a few weeks ago and are saying, hey, we need to be in this conversation as well. Let's get our draft going here. My instinct is that, so let's lay out the issues. Obviously, you have conditional picks that are in play, i.e., you know, a team says, if uh, the Blues make it to the third round, then the third rounder we have from them turns into a second round. They've got to resolve that. The draft lottery 
is obviously determined by the regular season standings. And then the, the cup finalists are the last two picks. And then you have, in my mind, the much bigger issue, which I'll circle back to, in that the draft floor tends to be where a lot of trades are made. I think you can figure it out with the conditional picks. I don't think it's the end of the world if we have a different lottery for one year, whereby we go back to the format we had even just five years ago, where only one team wins the lottery. You can't drop more than one spot, and a bunch of teams really wouldn't actually have a chance to win. You can only move up four spots. I think that's fine for a year, but where I just keep getting tripped up with this is, I mean, you look at the guys who move on, you know, the day before, the day of the draft weekend, let's call it. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Philadelphia traded Mike Richards and Jeff Carter around the 2011 draft. I mean, they completely remade their team. Dougie Hamilton's been traded twice at the draft. I mean, there are always, you know, Ryan O'Reilly, like there are two to five big or really big names that get moved. And I just don't see how you can make that work when all of a sudden, okay, now we're still hoping to come back and play out the rest of this existing season. Is that in your mind, the biggest issue with having a draft potentially before we could still be playing the 1920 season? Yes, that one. And I have another issue with it that we haven't mentioned, but that one for sure, because how can you trade a guy that you may be thinking about trading when you might need him for the playoffs? Yeah. I mean, we were talking about the Leafs, and I don't know this, but say they were thinking about trading Kapanen. They don't want to trade him before the playoffs because no for a pick, right, to get jump back into the first round um, just hypothetically because they want, they want as many guys as they, they have to take a run at it. And then conversely, what I find really interesting, you look at a team like Montreal – or a team like Ottawa or Detroit who have stocked up on draft picks, do you think Ottawa really wants to take, what is it, 11 guys in the first three rounds of what is said to be you know, a pretty average draft class once you get out of the top two or three? Like Some of the reason for the rebuilding teams to stockpile draft picks is to then flip them into actual roster players. Yeah. So it, it, I think it really harms the business of hockey. Uh, Chuck Fletcher of the Flyers went off on this earlier this week, and I thought he made a lot of great points. It's like the draft is that time of year that virtually every team kind of resets their roster. It's like, hey, we have too many picks or we want picks and we want to get up into the first or second round and we know we're not going to resign this guy. And plus, just from an entertainment perspective, it's, it's that visual and the chatter around, hey, this GM walked over to this GM's yeah. table and they're talking. You know, you only have to go back one year to think of some of the impactful trades. You know, P.K. Subban leaving Nashville. That was kind of interesting. The J.T. Miller trade happened around the draft. And, you know, that really set uh, Vancouver on a different course. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's – I know they're trying to get some entertainment value and some discussion and buzz around the league. But I think without the trades, and I don't know how you make that many trades, uh, I think it might be a little bit lackluster. And then the other issue I have with it, which Fletcher also brought up, is what if the season ultimately ends up getting canceled? Yeah. So the benefit of not being in the lottery is you get a playoff run. 
And there's so many benefits to that. There's the financial, hey, you get TV, you might get some TV revenue, you get the gate revenue of fans coming in to see the playoff games, which are almost always sold out and people buy more merch at that time, all those things. So there's like this financial aspect to being in the playoffs. And then there's like, hey, we haven't been in the playoffs for a long time. If you're the Flyers, if you're the Canucks or whoever, we want our players to have that valuable experience. You know, even if you don't win the cup, you want your team to be in the playoff to get that valuable experience. And then also it allows you to kind of see your biggest weaknesses or strengths. You know, the Tampa Bay Lightning felt a lot different about their team after the playoffs than they did after the regular season last year. Yeah. So you're missing out on the benefits of the playoffs. And then plus, you don't have any shot at the lottery. So it, it could be really harmful for those teams that actually made it, that they're not in the lottery and they don't get the benefits of holding a playoffs if the season's ultimately canceled. The other thing too, I mean, you mentioned, it's clear what the NHL's hope is here. It's to jump in at a time where there's not much, if anything at all, going on in the sports world and hope you can kind of dominate the cycle for a little bit. But one of the things I was thinking about as we were talking was, okay, so let's say then that there does not end up being any kind of resumption to this year. And we don't even know for sure, obviously, when we're going to start up uh, 2021. So if you go out and kind of blow your powder and have a draft in early June, then we wind up canceling the season. Now you still may end up going, you know, who knows, three or four months completely off the radar before maybe things resume in October. Uh, We don't know. I kind of wonder if, let's say the worst case scenario comes to pass whereby we don't have a resumption of the season. I kind of feel like the best way to play it then might actually be to delay the draft a little bit and then use it to kind of ramp up and say, all right, so we didn't get a cup in 2020 and that really sucks, but we're coming back in 2021 and here we go. We're going to have the draft, let's say even in like mid-August or something, then we're going to have free agency around Labor Day. There's going to be a month off and then camps are going to open in October or something. You know, like if you go and have the draft in June and then we don't end up finishing this season, you could still be disappearing for a long, long time. No, you're absolutely right. It's not just disappearing um, out of the public eye and having something to show on TV and and something for fans to get excited about. There's a couple other reasons. Um, I think that's number one for sure. But the other thing is because they keep pushing things back with the hope to squeeze in a regular season, you know, now they're willing to play into September, I've heard. So the off-season window, the new off-season window is getting shorter and shorter. Tiny tiny yeah and they're kind of pushing it to the limit so there's, there's a lot of things to fit in there so i think part of the reasoning is hey if we can knock the draft out then we don't have to have as such a long off season because you know something like the draft takes a lot of effort employees um, manpower to, to pull off and execute properly you know there's all these other things that got to fit in like free agency arbitration time for the players to rest so You know, I think it's also kind of, hey, if we can knock one of these things off. And the other thing that's not getting discussed very much is a lot of the scouts, their contracts are up at the end of June. That's when teams either decide to renew them or not. So I think they they want to get the draft 
out of the way while the scouts are still employed because do teams want to employ a scout um, from June 30th till November, December when there's no hockey being played? What if the OHL is not back? What if the AHL is not back? What are these teams going to scout? And teams that are bleeding money right now, do they want to be paying a whole scouting staff to scout nothing? So I think that's been kind of less talked about, but I think there's an element of while the scouts are useful, while they're employed, let's hold the draft now. Okay, look, you've referenced it a couple times, the league, obviously holding out hope, um, you know, it feels like until the 11th hour to resume the season if possible, but certainly get some kind of playoffs in that would allow us to crown a cup champion in 2020. Where is your gut at at this moment in terms of, you know, the likelihood we see a regular season or at the very least some kind of playoff format in 2020. I think they're going to do it just because I think they're so determined and the financial incentives are so huge to fit it in. I think they're going to do it, even if it means pushing it into September, October and delaying the start of, of 2021 even further. I just that that's my gut. Um, okay. Of course, it all comes down to health officials, and it has to be done safely. I don't think they're going to do it um, knowingly, putting anyone at risk. I think they're going to be very thorough. But they've been very aggressive right now. They're taking bids on hub cities. You know, the idea is to have the four hub cities. I think the idea of finishing the regular season is fading away. I think we are going to just jump straight into playoffs. That's what my gut tells me, and you know. It's like, do you really bring the Los Angeles Kings back or the yeah. Detroit Red Wings who absolutely have zero to play for? They wrapped up 31st place <laughs> before the pause. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you drag those people away from their families just to get a little bit of regional TV money? Really? At this stage? So I do think they've invested so much time and effort that I think they will pull off some kind of playoff and we might see a Stanley Cup hoisted above someone's head in late September, early October. I don't think that's too far. I, I think that that's what they might do. When I was a kid, we could watch Stanley Cup final games while we were camping on May 2-4, uh, oh, which yeah. is, is no longer the case. Now I'm thinking I might be watching the Stanley Cup on Labor Day or even Thanksgiving. <laughs> Maybe it'll be Thanksgiving. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, you... you you touch on it. It definitely feels like from the word go, it's been a case of however they can make this happen. They're just exploring every, I mean, anything is on the table and any possible angle is being explored to make this happen. So um, it certainly sounds like you still think they're going to work and work and work to find a way. Yeah. I think they're going to try and get the small groups going by the end of this month. Uh whether they do it, I'm not sure, but I think the the efforts there, the intentions there, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if if we do have a Stanley Cup champion. And honestly, I'm of the mind that if you do end up beating four different teams, and these are you know grueling matchups, there shouldn't yep. be an asterisk attached to it. You know, you, you've went through a lot. You could argue that you've overcome even more adversity by these bizarre circumstances of ha- having to sit on your hands for three months or so before before you get back to action. Uh, you know, if, if you're able to knock off four teams, then you deserve it. Uh, I think I had the uh, exact same monologue a couple weeks ago that, you know, whenever 
someone gets dinged like the 95 devils or the 2013 blackhawks for winning it in in a um lockout shortened season some people think there's an asterisk but no way if you go for four rounds of best of seven even if it ends up being a best of five or something in the first round uh it is still uh one hell of uh of an accomplishment to get there all right luke we appreciate you so much for stopping by today thanks for your insights and stay safe my man all right thanks for having me ryan and shout out to the boylands congrats that's right. Congrats again to Rory and Pam on Family Expansion. Thanks to Luke for jumping in this week. Thanks to Michael Mayers, our producer, as always. Everyone stay safe out there and check back next week for more Glass Rattling Hockey action on Tape to Tape. <laughs>